Welcome to the Tactics Meeting. I'm your host, Dan Smiley, and I'll be your planning section chief as we talk to subject matter experts about response tactics and technology. Today on the program, we have Dave Owings, General Manager at CPRO, who's been managing oil spill response in the complex environment of Southeast Alaska for over 30 years. Dave Owings, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Dan. It's great to be here with you. I was excited to see you at Clean Pacific. It was nice to get a chance to, to catch up. Did you enjoy the conference? I did. It was uh, it was the first like in-person real event that that I'd been to in quite a while. And, and I think a lot of the other folks there. And and I think people were just genuinely happy to be together and be out from wherever they, they spend their days. And it was it was a good event. Yeah, well, it was small, the smallest event that I've ever had, but I kind of liked the fact that it only had a single educational track. You didn't have to choose between one session and another. You got to see every presentation that people had, and it was kind of like a family reunion, almost more than a conference. It absolutely was. And, and I found that there were a number of people that I was just thrilled to see, and and we bump into each other and, and agree that we'd get together for coffee or lunch or whatever. And then you just get, you got so wrapped up with what was going on. Pretty soon the, the event was over and everyone was taken off. So. Yeah. And it, this is one of those get togethers. We agreed you'd come on the, on the podcast yep. and talk yep. about CPRO and your uh, response experience in Alaska. And here we are. So, so Dave, how did you get, into oil spill response in the first place. You've been in this game for quite a while now. I, I guess I have. Um, you know, that's a it's an interesting question, and I, I I can't think of one person in this industry that I know that when they were growing up said, "Hey, when I get when I get to be an adult, I think I'm going to clean up oil spills." That's what that's what my life's work is going to be all about. But I sure I know a bunch of people that just started doing something and stumbled into this. And, and I'm really no different. In the summer of 1990, uh, I was on vacation. Uh, I was living in the Seattle, Washington area. Uh, I was working as a, I, I was a firefighter. Uh, and for me, that was that was my dream job. I I loved doing that kind of work. And I was uh, so summer came around. My family and I were on vacation. We'd met some friends down in uh, in Cannon Beach, and we were having just an incredible time. And one day, I was sitting there on the beach reading the local newspaper. And I, I found an article in there that talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, talked about a new company that was starting up. So summer in 1990 was, you know, in rough numbers, a little over a year after the, uh, the Prince William Sound oil spill. And this article was talking about this new company that was starting up. And they were going to put together this nationwide uh, oil spill response capability. And they were going to build 
boats and they were going to buy equipment and they were going to hire all these people and train them and just put together this incredible national response uh, capability. And, I, and at the time I thought, that sounds kind of cool. And so I, I actually tore the article out of the paper, uh, shoved it in my pocket, which meant it ended up in a suitcase. And when we got home from vacation, uh, I, I found the article again. I, I mean, I guess I was supposed to find it again. And I shoved it in the desk drawer. And a couple months later, uh, I was looking for something and I found this article and I thought, I, I'm going to call these guys and just kind of find out what they're doing. It was just, it was very interesting. They had the name of the company. It was the Marine Spill Response Corporation. Uh, and they had the name of the, the the guy that was president at the time, but that was it. There was no uh, no listing, no address given, no phone numbers, no contact information. I started searching, and it took it actually took me a while, and I ended up finding that MSRC at that time was sharing. I believe they were sharing an office or using some office space at the uh, American Petroleum Institute facility back on the, on the East Coast. And so I, I called uh, and I tried to bluff my way to uh, into the guy's office that was the, the president at the time, because that was the only name in the, in the article. And his administrative assistant, boy, she, <laughs> she wasn't going to let me talk to him. But I did get the name uh, and some contact information for the guy that was going to be uh, establishing their operation in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, his name was Bill Park, and he was retired Coast Guard, had worked in the oil industry for a number of years, and had he had some great experience. I believe he was one of the, the guys that really helped uh, MSRC in those early days kind of get their feet underneath them. They renamed, uh, after he passed, they renamed the Washington Responder, the WC Park Responder in his honor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to make a long story maybe a bit shorter, I ended up leaving the fire service in the summer of 1991, and I went to work for MSRC. At that time, they had an office in Edmonds, Washington, and that was it. It was an office. They were hire, They were hiring people. So every day, it seems like there'd be, you know, one or two new people coming through the door. Everybody had a little different background. Uh, there were some retired Coast Guard folks, some tugboat, you know, people that came from the tugboat industry. I think I was the only person that came out of the fire service. First, it was interesting because all we had, I don't think we had a screwdriver in the whole office. We just had some computers and uh, they they started kind of things just started to, to roll and the snowball. And before long, we were we were traveling to California to do boom evaluations. They had a, a vessel that was ported in Port Wyneme. We'd go down there and, and test different types of oil boom. 
we got some experience with the Norwegian oil trawl, which was the big boom that, that uh, MSRC started using. Uh, the big Transrex skimmer. And then when we get back to Washington, uh, they would send us out to different schools. I went out to commercial truck driving school. I learned how to drive. If it had wheels and an engine, I could drive it. Uh, other guys went to, to learn how to operate large cranes. We all learned how to run forklifts, just all the equipment that MSRC ended up with. We got, we got pretty good at running all that stuff. Did they have any, they didn't, other than Edmonds, did they have any locations? Well, yeah. Because, you know, today, and this is after they merged with Clean Sound Clean Cooperative Sound, yeah. in 2005, you know, they've got a manned location in Bellingham, in yeah. Everett, in Seattle, in Tacoma, in Port Angeles, in Astoria, in Honolulu, you know, there are man sites <laughs> all over the place. Um, where did you, did you stay in? In Edmonds, or did you end up at a at a man's site that they were setting up? No, we we ended up outgrowing that uh, that little office facility in Edmonds, and we moved up to Everett. While that was going on, you know they were they were building their oil spill response vessels, and those were all built down in the, in the Gulf. And so we we all had the opportunity to go down while those ships were being built and spend some time getting familiar with the boats uh, while they were under construction, which was just an a incredible experience. We ended up with, uh, we had a large warehouse in Everett, which we quickly filled with stuff, boom, skimmers, temporary storage, uh, small boats, hydraulic equipment, um, and one of the things MSRC just, I think they did a phenomenal job with was hiring, they hired great people. We had a guy that could, if you gave him an idea, he could conceptualize it in his head. And then he'd sit down in front of a computer and design it on AutoCAD. And then he'd go out in the shop and he'd build it. A bunch of people with, the skills and talents to do those things. It made for a great, a great company. It's and interesting to see where they're at today as well, because they they continue to innovate. Uh, yeah. You know, now they are doing uh, some aerial reconnaissance, remote assessment work around the wildfire. So they're branching out, and doing some some a really amazing work but you didn't end up staying there right we we don't yeah. want to we don't want to spend all our time talking about msrc although, <laughs> although that was that would be a good show i think um, oh, yeah. since yeah. since i did spend i don't know about six years there between 2005 and 2012 i guess it was but somewhere yeah. along the line you turned your eyes to alaska i did so when i was in college. Uh, I spent four summers up here in Ketchikan. I had a, a great day job. I, I worked for uh, I worked for Unical, uh, which was uh, an oil company that had a terminal here in Ketchikan. And my job in the summers was to run the work down on their fuel dock. So keep the fishing fleet, which in those days, 
Ketchikan had a pretty big fishing fleet. Uh, so we keep them going. Uh, we moved a lot of uh, fuel and oil to from Ketchikan out to logging camps. So we ran a we ran a barge. Uh, we had a tug and barge that that made those deliveries. Anyway, I was able to put myself through college, which I I always thought my dad appreciated. I bet he uh, did. By, by spending my summers up here, rolling the clock ahead. Uh, I'm working for MSRC, and I, I saw someone had placed a uh, an advertisement in the lunchroom and CPRO, which is a, a much smaller cooperative than MSRC, uh, was looking for a training and safety manager. Thanks to a lot of the great training that I had through, through the fire service and then through MSRC, uh, I I applied for the job, came up here with my wife, uh, who was a, she's a Southern California girl. And so I brought her to Ketchikan. We had an, an absolutely incredible weekend up here. The sun was out. I brought her up in July. And so the days are long. Uh, there, were, there was no rain. And as we would walk along the water, the waterfront, uh, the salmon were just literally jumping into people's boats. And my wife loves seafood. So that worked in my favor. We kept bumping into people that I had known from about 15 years earlier. And finally, this guy stopped us on the street. Uh, he called me by name and he said, and I'm, this is, uh, I'll never forget this. He said, Dave, how are you? He said, I haven't seen you in a while. What have you been up to? And Dan, it had, been, it had been 15 years or 16 years, I guess, since I'd been up here. And so I, I started telling him and, you know, trying to answer his questions. I introduced him to my wife, Karen, and he gave me a big bear hug and he said, welcome home. Wow. So that sealed the deal. Uh, and so I, I was offered a position here and, and quickly accepted it. And I made plans to, to come up here. So I ended up coming up here in August of 1996. My wife and kids came up in early December that year. And uh, Karen was very quick to point out that the weather in December in Ketchikan is very different than the weather in July. Well, and you found the, the two nice days, <laughs> even, even in July. I don't know oh. how you. I don't know how you managed to pull that little marketing stunt off with your yeah. wife. Oh, I don't know either, uh, but it worked out well. So, so we all ended up here, and about a year and a half, or maybe two years after I I started here, the guy that hired me moved on to. He was kind of looking for a different career path, and so I applied for his position. And uh, board of directors gave me a shot, and so here, here we are. It's been, gosh, I just, I just finished twenty five years here. So tell us about this small co op. What is CPRO, and how long has it been around? Does it predate uh, Open ninety and Exxon Valdez, or was it the result of Open ninety? 
No, it was. That's a great question. Um, so first, CEPRO stands for, it's an acronym, and it stands for the Southeast Alaska Petroleum Response Organization. Uh, we are an OSRO uh, or oil spill removal organization uh, under the Coast Guard OSRO classification program. Uh, we're a state of Alaska primary response action contractor and state of Alaska non-tank vessel cleanup contractor. Um, and we also provide coverage under the, the uh, state of Alaska stream. We got a lot of acronyms to deal with, but it's the, the streamlined plan cleanup contractor for uh, that's for smaller uh, tank vessels with non-crude products, any, anything less than 500 barrels. And then we also provide coverage under the federal non-tank vessel program. So that's what you are. And how long has it been around? So CPRO started, I, I think we're in our 30, going to start our 31st year. We followed, uh, like I guess like a number of co-ops, uh, the, the oil uh, open 90. We are based in Ketchikan. You know, a lot of a lot of people ask why we're not based in Juneau. Juneau's right, right, because that's where the Coast Guard, state capital, Coast Guard uh, sector headquarters. Yeah, and and Juneau's probably twice as big as Ketchikan uh, in terms of population. But uh, the Juneau Airport, as I understand it, uh, the Juneau Airport is closed quite a bit more than the Ketchikan airport because of the, the weather up there. So that coupled with the, the fact that the, the people that founded CPRO were all based out of Ketchikan meant this, this is where our, our corporate office is. This is where we all work out of. So how big is the CPRO co-op? How many people do you employ and what is your response? your response crew look like? There's four full-time employees uh, and they're all, all of us work out of this office here in Ketchikan. We have a, uh, a, a bookkeeper who works, uh, who works part-time for us. And then um, we've got a number of part-time people that work for us all over Southeast Alaska. Most of them are here in Ketchikan and Juneau. And we've got them broken up into people that are licensed vessel captains. We've got a couple oil spill response vessels. And then we have some people that work as maintenance technicians. What kind of uh, oil spill response vessels do you have? I, I believe you do have a couple of big Rosimas. I could be wrong. What, what do you have up there, Dave? So we, we have two 48-foot Rosema-built oil spill response vessels. So they're, they're purpose-built vessels. They were designed and constructed uh, to clean up oil spills. So they've got, they've got a nice, uh, nice accommodations for the crew. They're not really made for, for living on long-term. Uh, there's a built-in uh, built-in oil skimmers. There's built-in 
storage, uh, and the boats are pretty simple to operate. So if you called us, asked us to come out to your oil spill uh, with, a, with a minimal crew, we can get out there fairly quickly and, uh, and start, start deploying and then deploying equipment and recovering oil. Are both of those vessels based in Ketchikan or are they spread out throughout Southeast Alaska? Uh, we've got one here and then the other one's up in Juneau. We have equipment spread out throughout Southeast Alaska, which is about the size of the state of Florida. And in very rough numbers, Southeast Alaska's got 10 to 15,000 miles of shoreline, depending on where we are in the tide cycle. Uh, it's made up of maybe a thousand islands, you know, some not much bigger than a rock that sticks out of the water. And then there's, Dan, there's less than 75,000 people that live here. So it's important. It was important to us. We, we felt the best way to provide good oil spill response services throughout an area like that was to break up that area. And so we broke Southeast Alaska up in, into nine different zones. And in each zone, we have equipment and people that are part of our uh, response team. And so we talked briefly about the full-time employees and the part-time folks. We also have a large group of people that we have run through HAZWOPER training, and then we've run them through training on how to use the oil spill response equipment in their community. And so they make up our, our response team. So we've got people in Yakutat, which is at Yakutat's at the far end of our, of our uh, response area. And so it, it helps us kind of jumpstart a response. And then we just start cascading people from surrounding areas. Well, you've got one of the more challenging response environments. I've sailed through there uh, for many years on coastal freighters and the sheer amount of shoreline, the fast moving current, the wind. I mean, that an oil spill in Southeast Alaska correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it's not going to be an on-water recovery operation for very long. It's going to get on the beach, and it's going to be on beaches all over the place. That has got to keep you up at night. Yeah, a lot of my life's lessons I learned uh, when I was in the fire service. I had a fire chief who one day came out and asked us, there was a group of us, uh, uh, and we were probably standing around when we should have been doing something else. But he came out and asked what our what our job was. You know what we're what we're supposed to do. You know, one of us, and it could have been me, looked up at him and said, "Well, chief, we're here to we're here to save lives and property. You know that's what that's what firefighters do." And he looked at us for a second, and then he said. Anytime you have to get in one of our one of our rigs and go somewhere, 
to, to save lives and property, you, you failed to do your job. He said, your first job should be prevention. So if we're putting fires out, it means that we're failing somehow to prevent them. And, uh, and I think oil spills are, are, are really, the, the, it's the same thing, right? We, we need to focus on prevention so we don't have those days where there's, there's oil on the beaches. Open 90 has worked. Prevention has worked. We don't get that many oil spills anymore. When I first got into the oil spill response business back in July of 97 in the Puget Sound area, we probably had a spill a month of some size, not, not big, but you know, a spill a month. We were getting underway. We were getting called out. We were going somewhere. We were putting some sorbent material in the water. We were putting out some boom, you know, and then it was once every other month. And then it was once every six months. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, you know, it's 2004 and we haven't had a call all year. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and it goes on and it's a blessing and a, and a curse for the environment. Uh, it's a blessing. For the oil spill industry, from a simply from a training and experience perspective, uh, we don't have any oil spills. So some people that have been hired to do some of this work, I'll bet you've got a number of people who are on your team that have never seen oil spilled in the water outside of a video. And you would be correct. Yeah. And and I completely agree with you. I. Although I, I will say, I personally, I think it's much more of a blessing to not have spills than it is a curse. And um, for anyone that's ever been up here to Southeast Alaska, this is one of the most incredible places on, on earth. And so I'm, I'm, I, I think the industry up here, uh, and I'm casting a really wide net, it's the the oil industry, it's aviation, it's timber, it's fishing, it's the, the cruise ships that come up. Everyone does a phenomenal job every day of not spilling oil. I mean, all those prevention things are, are absolutely working. And so we're here to, to help on that prevention front and then be ready for for the day when something something happens that that for whatever reason couldn't be prevented. Well, you share a border with Canada in yes. your preparations for re response. What is your interaction and preparation like with the Canadians? Yeah, so we are uh, one of the things that I think is really unique about CPRO is our closest mutual aid partner comes from another country. And uh, Canada is about 90 miles south of Ketchikan. And so we, uh, uh, we do share a border. Uh, we have worked for, ever since I came to work for CPRO, uh, we have worked with uh, Western Canada Marine Response, 
Corporation, WCMRC. And so there are counterparts across the border. They are um, phenomenal. They are great at what they do. Uh, they are staffed with some of the some of the best people I've ever worked with. And so we we have a mutual aid agreement that we uh, we dust off and go through every year. Uh, we never pass up an opportunity to train together. So we will go go south of the border. They'll come north of the border. Uh, and the the equipment that we have and the equipment that they have was, I mean, there were some some conscious decisions made that uh, the the boats that they've got are made by the same folks that made our boats. You can get off Seapro's OSRV and crawl on or climb onto the WCMRC OSRV, and it's it's effectively the same boat. Our people are able to train together, and and I think as importantly as it is to train together, we work to establish and maintain really good relationships. And, and I think, and Dan, you've been doing this uh, an, an awful long time as well. Uh, you know how important it is to have, to have good relationships with the people that you're working with. Well, relationships are really what it's, what it's all about. As a matter of fact, I had Mike, uh, Michael Lowry of WCMRC on the program to talk about the incredible response work that they are doing, along with this really impressive uh, equipment building program that they're undergoing as they're preparing for uh, additional pipeline deliveries and uh, vessel traffic in, in the area. But going, going back to the to the uh, mutual aid agreement, are are you able to? cross the border with your equipment and and do work in Canada and vice versa? Can they come into U.S. waters and do oil spill response? Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we test or, or practice through the uh, mutual aid agreement that we have. And one of the, you know, so this is kind of tying back to that concept of maintaining good relationships with people. Whenever we do these exercises, on, on our side, we bring in the Customs and Border Patrol people. So their office, I mean, we're really, we're really blessed here. Their office is, is maybe a mile from, uh, from CPRO's office. It, and, really, Dave, is anything more than a mile from CPRO's office? Oh, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, my short answer is the road goes 20 miles each way and stops. Uh, but my house is about a mile from here. So, yeah. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Good point. <laughs> but we um, we involved the, all the people in, in our, our drills and exercises that, that would be there for a real spill. So when we call the, the Customs and Border Patrol office, 
they know us, they know the kind of work that we do. They understand what we're, what we're telling them when we talk about us going south uh, and working with WCMRC or them coming up here. And so those, all those relationships just really pays dividends. It facilitates uh, uh, good exercises and drills as well as good responses when they happen. So is there anything that you have to do that's special when you go to activate the CAN-US-DIX agreement, which is really a a treaty between the United States and Canada? Is that that correct, right? Yeah, and that's a a Coast Guard. I mean, that's a government-to-government thing. So when, when they do their side of it, I'm sure that there are, any number of hoops that they have to, to jump through for for CPRO and for WCMRC. I mean, we're <clears throat> we just call each other up and, and ask for help or offer help. And uh, so it's a pretty for us, it's a pretty simple process. Oh, it's good to have friends. It, you know what? The, one of my rules is the best thing you can bring to a spill is a friend. So how does a member go about calling CPRO out? Do you maintain a, a 24-hour call center? Oh, wh- what happens when I have an oil spill, knock on wood? Well, we try and make it simple, right? Because I fully appreciate that when someone has an oil spill, they are having a really bad day. And so uh, we've got one phone number and you, uh, you call that number. If no one's here, it gets picked up by a machine. There's a there's a message. Uh, and the message says if you know if you're calling to report an oil spill, hit hit number hit number five. And you leave a message uh, after you do that. And then our phone system calls us. So it calls all the, the full-time uh, employees, it calls our, our, our management team. And we just get the ball rolling from there. So typically, I would call back the person that had called us and kind of, kind of get a feel for for what's going on and and uh, what they where they are and what they need, and then uh, we just start things rolling from there. We'll launch uh, if they if they need a boat and crew. We'll launch our closest one. And, and again, we're backfilling with uh, people and equipment from surrounding areas. Are you also the spill management team or are they required to provide their own SMT? No, the uh, non-tank vessels provide a spill management team. That's, that's part of the, part of the, the uh, regulatory uh, requirements for them. Some of our smaller members Generally, they've all got their own management team. Sometimes they'll ask us to help shore some of it up. Everyone on our management team, on our leadership team, uh, we all go through ICS training. We can step in and, and uh, fill a spot if needed. So we, we try, and, um, try and maintain that versatility that allows us to, to, to step up wherever there's a, a gap and, and fill that. So you guys have uh, been advancing in technology like the the rest of us. You had 
uh, mentioned to me at uh, Clean Pacific some experience with drones. What have you been doing with drones? I love drones because I just bought a new drone myself. <laughs> I'm with you. I, uh, so, you know, for like everybody else, for years, uh, when we would respond to an oil spill, we'd, we'd put someone in an airplane or, or a helicopter and fly over the, the spill. Uh, to, to kind of get an idea of how big it is, where it's going, um, what, it's, what it's impacting. And for us, in 2017, we responded to a, uh, a sunken vessel uh, that, that was uh, leaking oil. And we, we had done, uh, the Coast Guard had done a couple uh, flyovers and got got a few pictures but it's you know it was just it wasn't doing it and so we ended up finding a a guy who has a drone that he uses commercially and I I think he was doing uh, real estate work where he would fly over your house and get pictures if you were going to put it up for sale and we brought him out and told him what we wanted. And so we had him out there every day flying his drone over our spill site. And, uh, and it was phenomenal. It, it showed us real time where the oil was coming up and where it was going. And at one point, we brought our, one of our on-water crews uh, to the shore and had them huddle around this guy in his, his uh, screen. And so they could, they could see where the oil was uh, in the water and what, what part of the boom it was impacting. And, and you could just see the light going on. And they, they went back out, they jumped in the boat, and, and they were able to deploy uh, some cleanup uh, assets right where the oil was coming up. So it, it was, um, it was a great experience for us. We, we would fly the beaches every day to make sure that there were no, uh, no impacts of oil on any of the beaches. And so after that spill, and again, that was, that was four years ago, uh, we bought our first drone and, uh, we are, uh, we're now on our, our second drone. Um, so we, we stepped up a bit. We've got a, a great program. We make sure that our, our drone pilots all have uh, FAA licenses. So in other words, they're just not gonna turn the drone over to me uh, just cause I think I know how to fly it. So we make sure that, that anyone that touches those things has, um, has a, an FAA license and they're well qualified to fly those, but they give us great intel um, that when, when we've got oil in the water. It's a phenomenal tool. Next year, we're looking at, uh, at going with some uh, night vision capabilities uh, so we can, uh, we can extend our operating, uh, operating picture. Yeah, we flew MSRC's drone uh, at night during a response in February, and they were flying uh, the DJI 
uh, Mavic 2, which included a FLIR brand infrared camera as standard equipment, a, along with the uh, RBG uh, visual light uh, 4K camera, and watching them switch back and forth between the visual uh, light camera and the infrared camera um, uh, was, was incredible. And to think that this drone is, you know, only about $4,000, yeah. which, you know, even with extra batteries and all this other stuff, let's, let's say you're into it for, for, for six grand. Um, I can barely fly a helicopter for an hour for that. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So the spill starts, you, you bring the, bring the one, but then you say, well, while you're in here, go down to Best Buy, buy five more. I mean, yeah. get them over here. Well, it's, and, it's the FAA, I'm, it's the FAA licensed drone pilot thing that makes it more of a, of a thing. Right. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in my, in the study program to get mine right now. Oh, good for you. And, you know, we haven't hit on it, but the the other the other advantage of using the the drones is think about what what kind of risk and exposure you have whenever you put someone in either a fixed or rotary wing aircraft and send them up. And sometimes the weather that we're sending folks up in is is less than ideal. And so that's we, one way to put it. Yeah, and so so we've got these drones, and you know you're going to be uh, you, you splash a drone, and you say, well, you know, I'm sorry that happened, but at the end of the day, it's just a it's just a thing. Yeah, it's so, just a thing, and and relatively compared to the other response equipment that's out there, a fairly inexpensive thing as well. It is. I mean, you can get into some very expensive drones, but the drones we were flying were relatively inexpensive. Yep, yeah. Yeah, and so it's, I mean, I love the, the safety side of it. Uh, and, you know, we've done, uh, we've done aerial observation over oil spills where, um, you know, even though it's a relatively short flight, I mean, people are getting air sick in the, in the plane. And boy, as soon as one person gets air sick, everybody's gonna get air sick. So it's, um, uh, I think, I think these drones are, are just a great, a great tool for our industry. Yeah, the next ones we'll be looking at is how we're going to use uh, subsea drones to look for that potentially non-floating oil. Right? Funny you mention that. Yeah, I think that's, that's next. Uh, and, and um, I've, I've seen some of the, some of those and uh it's been a couple of years but i expect that uh i expect that we're going to see those throughout the response industry uh in the not too distant future there's a drone that i saw it, it's actually it was i saw it, it was mentioned to me by uh, greg challenger at uh, polaris applied sciences yep. during the uh, podcast that we did and i i think it was called something splash anyway the thing would land in the water oh yeah and when it yeah. when it lands in the water the camera on its belly is subsurface so so now this camera is sticking like six six inches below the surface and you can 
you can look around under under the oh, that's, water. That's pretty cool. And then take off. So so that's kind of a neat hybrid of the thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So like, oh, let's uh, take a look underwater right here. here. Splash, you know. So now our current drone uh, tolerates the water, but I I'm not uh, not convinced it's it's made to actually dip in the water quite that much. No, no, they and you know you're not supposed to fly them in the rain, but um, but we we flew we flew one kind of in the drizzle in 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 February, and it's like you know if 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 it has a problem, we'll buy another one. But you know yeah. we, I need to see what we're doing, and still it's it's less expensive. So what's new on the horizon for for C Pro? What what innovations do you have in the pipeline? question you know we are worth we are thrilled that uh i i know there's been another uptick in uh, covid uh, not just here but but all over the country but we are starting to get back out and interact uh with people um we've got uh uh, train uh, trainer that's putting together a training schedule for the fall, uh, where where he's going to go out and and do training and exercises with people. Whereas you know for the last year and a half, everything's been virtual and online, and I I really think that in our industry we can get away with that for a while, but. Um, we can only do virtual command posts and virtual training so many times before we we start to see some of our uh, some of our skills start to degrade. So I'm re I'm really happy to tell you that j just getting back out there, the Clean Pacific Conference was a, was a solid example of getting back out, interacting with people. Uh, doing it safely and responsibly, and um, just make it, making that personal connection again. Uh, as far as technology, we, because we're such a small organization, we try and leverage technology wherever we can. So we're, we're doing some upgrades. We've got a, uh, a call-out system. Um, so I, I, I mentioned our uh, our response team members, and it's about we've got about 175 people that are part of our response team. And so, when you think about how, how do you contact 175 people when there's an oil spill and the clock is running and time is of the essence, so we've got this uh, tool that allows us to reach out and we can contact all of them in just uh, a couple minutes or you know a subset of that group so it's just kind of kind of refining some of our uh, some of our tools you know when you and I started doing this stuff uh, we carried pagers pagers is that's right so it's you know we went from from a belt pager uh, to a cell phone, and, and at first the cell phones were just wicked expensive. Uh, and so, typically in an organization, you know, a few people would have 
cell phones, everyone else would carry pagers. And then we kind of crested that hill and now everybody carries it. And not just cell phones, but the smartphones. So we're able to, you know, our guys in the field, uh, they, we use an electronic timekeeping app. And so they're pulling their phones out and hitting a couple buttons and they're logging in. Uh, our operations manager can see who's working, where they're working. Um, it's just the, the tools that we have are phenomenal. I mean, it really, it really makes me wonder what this industry is going to be like in 30 years. You know, you and I have been around for about that long doing this stuff and the, the changes that we've seen uh, in many areas, you know, at, at some level, a lot of oil spill cleanup is uh, today is really not different than it was when we started. No, at the end of the day, someone has got to take a boat out on the water yep. and they've got to put a sorbent pad or they've got to operate a skimmer. Someone has to come in physical contact with the oil. Uh, you can't do that virtually. That's that's true. But we're, you know, the some of the the other tools that just I, I think really end up making life better for uh, for response personnel, because I've I've been the guy in the boat when someone from the command post keeps calling to find out where we are and what we're doing. And now we can put transponders on our boats so the people in the command post can watch where we are and, and understand what we're doing um, without pulling us away from maybe something that's more important than talking on the radio at that moment. No, I'm interested in what is coming down the, the pike as well. Yeah. Well, Dave, Dave Owens, uh, general manager from CPRO, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming on the program. And I, I look forward to seeing you uh, hopefully before the next Clean Pacific, maybe on an exercise or drill. And it's it was it was a pleasure to, to run into you at, at Clean Pacific. And uh, any whenever you get the time, come on up here. We'll do a little salmon fishing. I'm your man. <laughs> Excellent. I'll look forward to it. Well, that's meeting adjourned for this episode of the Tactics Meeting. Thank you to Dave Owings for joining us and talking to us about his early experience in the oil spill response business and his journey to Southeast Alaska. If you have a question or a comment or a recommendation for a guest on the show, you can email me. The address is podcast at thetacticsmeeting.online.